All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 279 of the DFO Rundown, uh, coming to you on a holiday Monday in the U.S. and in, uh, well, Canada in some places, uh, Family Day, of course. Uh, I am uh, Jason Greger, and always uh, our show is brought to you by Botano.ca, where you will have uh, an endless opportunity, 57 games this week for you if you want to get on uh, on a run a little bit. Of course, uh, none of them will be the outdoor games that we just saw this past weekend, but uh, lots of opportunities. Also, of course, the NBA regular season gets back going and uh, lots. Stay in the game at Botano.ca as we welcome in uh, Frank Saravalli. Frankie, how's your weekend? Uh, it was good. It was busy. Uh, we had some youth hockey playoffs, some minor hockey playoffs. And uh, how'd that go? Uh, we, it was a four team tournament round robin. We did not make it to the final. We went one, one, and one. So some heartbreak for the kids, but um, equality season nonetheless. Close games. Yeah, we still got a few weeks to tell. Yeah, we lost in OT to open up the round robin. Oof. And that was, yeah, I had to pick a couple kids off the ice crying. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I've, I've had that too. So it's, uh, I you know, always say, hey, the kids who care, nothing wrong with that. So nope. I just tell them, hey, we can't, uh, can't cry for 10 minutes though. Like, let it out, be good. And then we're, uh, yeah, we refocus quick. Most of them are pretty good. They bounce back when the game's over. You can't tell they lost 10 minutes later. So yep. that's uh, a lot of fun. Um, Hey, let's start. We are into now uh, two weeks and four days away from the uh, March 8th NHL trade deadline. And and I think, you know, arguably, well, maybe not even arguably, maybe the 
the most important piece available is Noah Hannafin. Mm-hmm. And uh, give us the update on, on Hannafin. It seems like, uh, is, it, is it trending, Frank, for sure that he's getting traded? Yes, uh, that is certainly the indication that uh, Noah Hannafin is is going to be on the move before March 8th. And not really a surprise, given that we've gone so long this side of the All-Star break, not hearing anything about a contract extension that that it would be heading in this direction. Now, this is going to stay consistent with what I've been reporting the whole time, which has been that Hannafin had expressed to the Flames way back a year ago that he did not want to play in Canada, that his preference was to play in the U.S. So near as I can tell, there are no Canadian teams that are pursuing him, Um, not the Toronto Maple Leafs, not, I, I don't believe, the Edmonton Oilers. And when you add all those things up, I I can't imagine that the Vancouver Canucks are there. Um, The indication is that he'll be on the move somewhere in the U.S. And I think the important thing to point out is that he's not necessarily going to be traded to the place that he's going to end up. And it's it's possible that he does, of course. Uh, The indication that I have is... If, if you were to you know pinpoint it on a map that I, I think the Hannafin camp has expressed to the flames that he has interest in signing in Tampa Bay eventually when it's all said and done. So I don't know if you can, you know, if they can steer a trade toward there, whether Tampa is willing to give up the assets required to make something like that happen, how much interest Tampa has in making, you know, how mutual it is. But the Lightning are in need of defense. And as mentioned, if you look in Julian Brisebois' playbook with the Bolts, almost every guy that he's traded for in this last run has ended up staying with the team. Yeah. Hagel, uh, you know, Tanner Janot signed a two-year extension after that massive trade. Uh, Nick Paul signed a seven-year deal. A A lot of these guys the last few years that they've been aggressive, at least if you're moving out picks that you're going to have a guy that stays the problem for the bolts in trying to pull something like that off is they just don't have the assets. They don't have a first round pick until 2026. I don't see how they have the cap space, Frank, unless they're not re-signing Steven Stamkos. Like there's, they don't, where's the cap space? Cause I'm guessing Hannafin's like a, I don't know, $7 million player. So I don't see where they're getting the cap space. The only guys that are UFAs, is Stamkos at 8.5. Everybody else who's a UFA makes 800K or less. Well, you have to remember the cap is going up and Stamkos, if he's staying, would probably be taking a bit of a discount. Yeah. And they've got some other UFAs at the bottom of their lineup. I mean, it is possible to piece it together. They only have $16 million committed to next year's cap on defense. 41 at forward. You got to add in Sergachev, excuse me. So that's twenty-four yeah. five. Yeah, that's sixty-six. I'm doing math on the fly. They said there would be no math. That's seventy-six with their goalies. They've got about ten million bucks in space. Yeah, so you'd have to, to sign basically him get Hannafin and and Stamkos. Yeah. Again, just spitballing. So yeah, and we also don't know what else everyone has up their sleeve. But I did have Tampa Bay on the list of suitors. You know, when I wrote about Hannafin last week and did a deep dive on his game, I just think the tough part is trying to get a trade done. And is there any way that they could possibly squeeze him to going there? I 
I don't know that that's, I don't know that it's a realistic possibility, meaning he might have to just go somewhere as a pure rental. Yeah. And, and even to make the trade work this year, you'd have to send some, you know, I guess, unless you're getting a third team in and retaining salary, you're not bringing much in, right? That's always the challenge. And, you know, it's, it will be interesting. He's obviously he's a good left defenseman. There's, there's no question about that. Um, but, you know, when you take out four of the teams that are going to make the playoffs, now, now you're down to, you know, to 12 suitors, right? And so, you know, Vegas doesn't need them. I don't think, right? That's they could use cool. him. I mean, Shea Theodore yeah. isn't back yet, and yeah, it, well, but if she, if they, they're going to need a replacement for Alec Martinez eventually next year. Yeah. That's some cap space. That's that's a huge chunk of what you'd have to pay Hannafin. Yeah, no, I meant like more so if you were like, what are the assets, right? That's obviously going to be key. If you're Calgary, yeah, like if Noah Hannafin wants to go to Tampa Bay, great. I guess unless he tells every team that that he that hey guys, I'm not going to resign with you. I'm only going to Tampa Bay. Well, then that's really going to screw Calgary over when it comes to trying to get any sort of return at the day. Well, that, that's what I was just going to say is they're probably in a pretty tough spot. Like the teams that I had listed for this year for Hannafin were Detroit, New Jersey, the Islanders, Tampa. You can cross off Toronto now and then Vegas. Yeah. I mean, that's four other teams. Tell me who else is coming out of the woodwork. So basically, the point that I'm getting at is it sounds like the flames are going to probably have a pretty tough time getting what they want in return for him. Yeah. Like what that's really going to do is suppress the market for him. Do you think there's any chance for a massive blockbuster Markstrom and Hannafin to New Jersey? And then it becomes a huge trade. Again, is he willing to resign in New Jersey long-term? Yeah. Why would you give up a ton? I understand the Markstrom part of it, but why would you give up a ton? He could help save their season this year, but is it worth a bunch of future assets for one playoff run when you're not even guaranteed to make it? I mean, the win in the stadium series certainly helped their season. They're two points back, but would you do that? Well, yeah, I'd want to have, um, yeah, obviously you'd probably want it to be almost like a sign and trade where you knew he was coming, but, as Tampa Bay shown, like some guys, you know what, until they get in the organization, you don't know if they're going to sign. And then they stay there for a few months and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I kind of like it here. So that is a risk though. There's no question about it. Right. That's the, uh, that's the risk of acquiring UFAs is you can give up something for them and and they don't resign. So that's the uh, challenge. Just look at the Leafs last year and Ryan O'Reilly gave up a ton, tried to convince him to sign. And he's like, ah, I came here for your months and I didn't like it. Yeah. That happens too. Um, yeah. yeah, I just think so as, as enviable position as Calgary was in or still may be in when you consider the returns that they could get for Hannafin plus Tanev and then add in Markstrom, which I think is no guarantee. He's no guarantee to move, um, right now based on that contract as it stands. They're, they're in an interesting spot. Like he's Craig Conroy's got his work cut out for him. Yeah, no question. It's uh, Mark Andre Fleury, Frank. Let's, it's let's tough when move. people get involved to try and steer the process. I guess is hundred percent. Is really yeah, what it fair, is. Fair point. Go. Um, what about uh, Mark Andre Fleury? What do you make a, of him and teams you think might work for him if if he's interested in going? If Minnesota, who is you know suddenly four points out of a playoff, so they even interested in trading him? I they aren't interested in trading him. Near as I can tell, uh, they're trying to squeeze in and make it this year. I think Marc-Andre Fleury's 
vision is solely focused on making them help helping make them a playoff team this year. And I'd say as of right now, he's not on the market at this very moment in time. Now we've got some time to change about 18 days, but I, you know, I think it's going to take a perfect scenario. I think it's going to take the wild being out of the mix. I think it's going to take like, and clearly out of the mix. I think it's going to take a scenario that he really is interested in and has a chance to play and a team that has an authentic chance to win the Stanley cup. Now, that playoff streak is is no joke. Personal playoff streak of 17 consecutive years in the postseason. Yeah. I'd imagine he wants to keep that going, but I don't think he's going to do it at the risk of potentially cutting off the knees of the wild at the same time. Yeah, and, and the same time, he, um, you know what, there's something satisfactory about uh, being the guy helping your team come from back from behind to make it if they can do, if they can complete that. So, I yeah, I think the best way to explain it is this, the wild aren't going to be asking, but if he goes to them and says, Hey, we're clearly out, then that's a different story. What but, about the Seattle? What about the Seattle Kraken, Frank? They're in the exact same boat as the wild they each have 56 points. They are uh four back of uh, the blues, uh, no games in hand. Uh, what do you make of the Kraken? And do you, what do you think Ron France is going to be doing? Like, does he wait right until the deadline? Or do you think Seattle's a team that, regardless of where they're at, should be considering making trades? My guess is he's going to wait as close as he can. My personal belief, and and look, I was the guy, rewind six pods from now, and I was the guy saying, hey, I, I think the Kraken could sneak in. But then they had another spell where they just... They couldn't get out of their own way and they've won two in a row now, but look, go look at their last 10 before that. Like nothing oh, yeah. about them screamed like they were going to be a playoff team or even a threat to be one. The only thing that they have going to their advantage is that almost all of the teams around them are, are likely to be selling off. St. Louis, Nashville, and if they don't do it, they're at least trying to. St. Louis, Nashville, Calgary, definitely Arizona, who's really fallen off one eight and one in their last ten. Those Arizona's dumping every UFA it can. Matt Dumba, Jason Zucker, every single guy that they can potentially move, they're going to. We talked about Calgary. Does that open up the door for Seattle to get in? I I would say. I'd much I'd place a much better chance on the Minnesota Wild being that eighth seed. Yeah, no, it's then the Kraken. Yeah, yeah, it'll be an interesting race. Depends on on who gets traded. We've seen other teams do it. Um, what about uh, a guy in Arizona? He's not a UFA, but um, I know they like him. They just acquired him. But you know, a lot of people ask about Sean Dersey. Do you think he gets moved? No, no. I think I my guess is the way he's played this year that the coyotes think of Sean Dersey as a long-term fixture in their organization. Now, I think the tough part for the coyotes is what's, what's the future of their franchise. Like you, you'd have to think that with all this stuff going on and particularly how in touch the coyotes players have been with the NHLPA, And you've heard Marty wall speak really publicly and strongly on his feelings 
which are not necessarily his personal feelings. He's echoing and he's using his pulpit as executive director of the NHLPA to voice the concerns of the Coyotes players. Oh, yeah. So that gives you some indication into what the rest of that team is feeling. What is that? They don't have a single defenseman signed for next season, RFA or UFA. So they've got some work to do, but I, if it were, and I, I don't know what the situation is like for, for Dursey. I have no line of sight into that, but if it were me, I'm not putting pen to paper on anything until I know wh- what that team is doing and where they're going. Yeah. Are you staying in Arizona? Are you playing at mullet arena? Are you actually moving forward with a piece of land or is the NHL jackknifing this scenario and sending you on your way to Utah? Would you yeah. sign a contract? Oh God, no! I think I think they want to know. The good news is they will know before free agency. If we look at the history of the NHL, oh. right? Um, if they're going to move, it feels like forever from now. I know that's. Oh, I, I would like to wake up tomorrow and it'd be March 9th, but um, I could free agency. I can't like. I can't even think about how far away that is. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, the 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 other thing is you look. First of all, what did you? Uh, I really like the Rangers jerseys yesterday. I have to say that. Um, at the game uh, at Met Stadium. I thought it was great. Um, I saw a lot of people, the Islanders, of course, the NHL tradition has become, you know, guys get dressed up in different things. The Flyers came as Rocky. I thought that might've been the best one I've ever seen uh, for any team. It was fitting. Uh, and like, I thought they got it down. Like they looked the, almost identical to Rocky. The shadow boxing too. Yeah. I thought it was Stepping fantastic. Off the, bus. Um, the Islanders, of course, um, no fun allowed with Lou. I don't, I don't know about like, if it's like to me, I just somewhat times I wonder, like you hear that. I see that story. Then you hear the Andrew Burnett, you know, um, uh, suggestions that he canceled the YouTube concert. Like sometimes I wonder if just like, guys, it's hockey. Like you don't need to be super serious all the time. I just think it has the unattend- unintended opposite effect, which is like, especially when it comes to the Preds and the message from Barry Trotz of, you know, we've got standards and we need to uphold them when we can't send a message that this team, uh, whatever, you know, young guys, they need to know what the threshold is for success. Like I also, yeah, I think that sends the wrong message. Like, I think it sends a message of why would you want to go? Like if you have options to pick places to go play, I'm sure you could have success without having, that you know sent your way without having to deal with that where you know not everything goes to plan and sometimes when you don't play well there are consequences that's you know we know that that's what happens in the nhl but just seems draconian to me like a little over the top and and i don't think it's fair to frame it exactly how you did saying it's just hockey because this is a six and a half billion dollar business. Like it's not just hockey. This is, there's a lot of money on the line for players, for coaches, for managers, for owners, for the league. But at some point, I think we lose sight of the point of this, which is at least in the case of the Islanders, like the point is to entertain. Well, that's my point. That's what I'm saying. Like you're telling me because these guys uh, get team bonding and have some laughs and dress up in whatever outfit that suddenly they're not focused on the game. 
It's the most idiotic suggestion. There's if no, anything, it makes them more focused on the game. They've been thinking about this game Thank for you. weeks, putting together yes. their their They're costume, planning. their it's, outfit, it's whatever. It's a fun it is. thing. Like I don't know. I just to me, to me, it's you know, it's like oh, you can never have a beard. Like come on. But anyway, that's just I uh, no. I, and I think look, like I I think this is my own personal opinion. He's had a ton of success, and like his his record, his track record is undeniable. I just yeah. think at this point, I think we've seen enough sort of uh, evidence to point to in the last handful of years that it feels like Lula Morello's lost the plot. Uh, He's 81 gonna... years old. He's the NHL's first ever octogenarian GM. And this isn't about ageism. It's just like this is 2024 and things are done a bit differently now. And there's a certain aspect of the old school mentality that I think we can all appreciate, but look at the way the Rangers entered on fire trucks in police cars, yeah. saluting NYPD and FDNY. And then look at the Islanders and it's like, yeah. which team is more geared to likely have success on Sunday. I mean, the Rangers are the team that overcame the deficit and won an OT and it was staring. Not to say that that's the ultimate recipe for success. It's just like which team, which team would players rather play on? I don't even think there's a question. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's totally fair. Also, a shout out to Matt Rempe. I don't know if you saw it, Frank, but that has to be maybe the greatest rookie lap ever. His first NHL game yesterday for the Rangers outdoors like that. Are you kidding me? Like, obviously it's a thrill anytime to play your first game in the NHL for anybody, but come on. That one was, uh, yeah. that was pretty sweet. I thought that was awesome. And then, you know, hulking guy, six foot eight, Frank, six foot eight, uh, played for uh, uh, Spruce Grove in the AJHL and then Seattle in the WHL spent uh, the last year and a half in the AHL and gets his recall. And then, you know, drops the flippers in front of 70 plus thousand fans with Matt Martin on his first shift. Like, oh my God, that was like, nerve wracking, exciting, all wrapped up in one man. So, uh, you know, for Matt Rempe, that's got to be one of the greatest rookie laps though ever. What you, I know he's a big guy, so he can handle himself. And there's not, you know, you can envision the scenario, Matt Martin, Matt Martin punching up to get him. Yes. So you're probably not going to be in a lot of big trouble. But what do you think his nerves were like? He's probably thinking, just don't get dropped in front of 70,000 people. Yeah, I, I would think so, right? And at the same time, he's probably, you're, you're so amped up, right? The first game, he, he probably knows what's going on. So it was, I just like seeing stuff like that. I thought it was, uh, it was fun. You know, who knows what, uh, you know, it's been a pretty quick ascent for him. And, uh, you know, we'll see what uh, what goes on. But man, like the size of players in the NHL, Frank, like six foot eight and moves well. Like we're The smallest guy on his line was six two. Yeah, nuts. Like, just getting a few bigger guys that are mobile and agile that you just, you know, like you see Wembyana, who's seven four for gosh sakes in the NBA, and he moves pretty well. And like six foot ten now is kind of like eh, whatever. Six foot seven doesn't even look big anymore in the NBA. It's mind blowing. And so the NHL is starting to see that. You got lots of guys who are six six plus around the NHL. Yeah, Adam Edstrom, he's been up and been on that line six foot seven. Well, Insane. Yeah, that is. Uh, it's pretty big. Hey, I want to talk, Frank, about the uh, the season and the race for the heart. Austin Matthews, of course, uh, is on pace for 70-plus goals. He could become only the ninth player ever to score 70 goals in a season. 
He has 48 and 52. Like, yeah. think about how close that is to 50 and 50. Yeah, I know. It's, it's Six hat tricks already. I, yeah. I put out this stat before you jump in. Austin Matthews has more hat tricks this season than 512 skaters in the league have goals. Yeah, that's nuts. Insane. Yeah, like he is. He is. Uh, he's. You know, he's the best goal scorer. It's not really even a, a discussion for that. Um, Connor McDavid could become only the twelfth guy with uh, with ninety plus assists uh, in a season. Uh, Nikita Kucherov could become only the 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 fourteenth guy with one hundred thirty eight because that's what he's on pace for. But what if he gets to forty? Well, now you're down to twelfth guy ever to get forty one hundred forty points uh, in a season. Nathan McKinnon uh, has a twenty six game home scoring streak. Uh, going right now like you got four guys that i think all have a a pretty strong case you know you might have somebody that you favor over the other but some pretty strong cases nikita kucherov is six away from 100 points or five yeah six away from 100 points it would be the fourth time in his career that he does it but what's interesting is he's at 55 games played now he probably hits 100 this week right very possible, yeah. So that leaves him the potential to be among the fastest players to get to 100 points ages 30 or over in a season. Yeah, not bad. So I have to ask you, Frank. So uh, you know what? You could make a case for all four. They're pretty strong cases for different reasons. Um, when, when you have, I can't recall a time that you had four guys who protect now I know there's still 25, 30, 25 to 30 games ish left, right? So it's still a lot of the season. So, you know, something could change. Somebody gets injured. Maybe somebody goes in a little bit of a slowdown. Who knows? But let's say they all stay this close. How important of who they get their points against does it matter to you? It doesn't matter to me, but what kind of case would you make? So here we go. So I, uh, good question. So I looked it up and I broke it down into the top 10 teams in the league, the middle 11 and the bottom 11 teams, right? Which uh, uh, I, I did bottom 11 because you had the, the 10th and 11th place team are tied in points percentage plus with 32 teams, it evens out. So I looked at the bottom, middle, and top. Nikita Kucherov against top 10 teams is killing it. He has 37 points in 20 games. He has more points per game against the top 10 teams in the league than he does again the bottom or the middle, which to me is pretty impressive. You have uh, McDavid's next in points per game and in, in against the top 10. Um, he has a lot versus the, the middle, and he actually has the fewest points per game against the bottom teams. So he's not – if people say, oh, you feast on the weak teams, some people want to argue it, fine. McKinnon and Matthews are the two that right now – now both have played more games, though, I have to point out. 23 for McKinnon, 22 for Matthews just due to scheduling. They've played more games versus the bottom. And McKinnon has uh, – 41 points in 23 games. Matthews has 38 in 22. They're at 1.78 and 1.72. McDavid's at 1.41 versus the bottom. So now when you go over the whole season, to me, I'm not sure it should change that much. But I think when it gets close, people might have to kind of, you know, go a little bit deeper and look to see, hey, you know, does it matter? Because I think it's fair to say it's harder to score points against the top 10 teams than it is against the bottom 10 teams who have allowed the most goals in the league. So my first question would be of the top 10 teams, how do they skew between West and East? Uh, six and four. Six in the West, four in the East. Okay. So 
McDavid and McKinnon are well, right going now, to play more games against the top teams. Well, they will by the end of the year, yes. Today, actually, McKinnon and McDavid have actually only played 14 games so far against the top 10. Kutras played 20. Matthews has played 15. Okay. Now, let me ask you a wild non-sequitur that's unrelated. Okay. At what point, because this potential heart race is so close, does this open up the door for Connor Hellebuck to come in and win it? Um, probably like do the votes end up getting split and will I mean, it's hard for goalies to generate enough support. And I've generally been along the line of thinking in my voting career that goalies have their own award and therefore they probably shouldn't factor in too heavily to the heart unless what they're doing is so exceptional that you can't deny it. Yeah. And all I'm saying is Connor Hellebuck is, is, He's knocking on that door. His numbers expected goals against and goals saved above average are so insane, are so off the charts. This is by far his best season. Yeah. And not only is the Vezina a stone cold mortal lock, I believe Connor Hellebuck should be on Hart Trophy voting lists. Okay. Um, where, where are the jets? Honestly, without him, I'm not saying the jets are a bad team. Uh, That's not what I'm saying at all, but they've scored. Oh, I know almost 60 fewer goals than all the teams around them in the standings. Yeah. To me, the, the, the thing that's the challenge, like when Hasek won, he was playing 70 games, right? If, If you miss 20 games, it's hard to be the most valuable to your team because for but that, games- I don't I don't think we can we can't go there anymore. That cannot be the standard. I understand what you're saying about what what about all the chunk of the season that he's not playing and all these forwards are. But we the standard of what the acceptable standard of what goalies should be playing health wise and maximization of their 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 talent. We know enough from sports science to suggest that playing 72 is way too much. So we can't grade them based off of that anymore. In my, that's just my opinion. He's on track for, he's played 39 of Winnipeg's 52. 52. Yeah. So he's right on pace to play 62. Yeah. He's on pace to play 62. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me, three quarters of your season starting those games and not being pulled in a single one of them. That's not a, that's not three quarters of one season. Isn't enough. No, no. Well, I I would argue yeah, Based on the wording of the rule, that's all I'm like most valuable to your team. So if for one quarter of the season, you're not in the game, that's it's hard to that's all I'm saying for me if I just rationalize it and I just look at the numbers and say most valuable to your team and then the other thing fair or not that that might work against them a bit Frank is Lauren Brassois his numbers are almost as good as Hellebuck's Brassois uh, Hellebuck has a 927 Brassois has a 920 Hellebuck has a 213 Brassois has a 222 like Brassois numbers are unreal for a guy who doesn't get to play very much and when he comes in he stays sharp it's you know so 
I, I wonder, I'm not saying it's right or not, but he's going to win the Vezina, no question, because lots of other guys have a decent backup. But right now, the Winnipeg goaltending tandem as a team is clear-cut above everybody else, not even close. Like, Brassois has got the best backup numbers by a mile. He's been excellent. I'm just saying, we talk about how tight this heart race is. Why isn't there an opening this year? I mean, well, I would I argue that the the seasons that we're seeing from these forwards are virtually indistinguishable. So that's why I think you're going to have them all in different categories, one, two, three, one, two, three, in different spaces, right? So like, unless people think, well, Hellebuck's better than, you know, two of those guys and he's in the top two voting, I don't see how he gets in. My argument would be that if the Jets don't have Connor Hellebuck, and I just heard what you said about the stats of Brassois, I get it. Yeah. My argument would be that I think the Jets are a non-playoff team mm. without Connor Hellebuck playing at this level. Yeah. How many but points guess, do you think he's been worth this year? In the you, here's, my, here's my question on voting, though. Can you vote on what ifs? I always vote on what, what happens. Like, what if Hellebuck wasn't there? We don't know because it's just no, a But how if. else do you calculate a player's value? On what they did. Right, but what I'm saying is, what, like, you have to remove that player from the situation to truly understand their value, don't you? Well, see, I always disagree with that because, like, look, so when Hellebuck's out, look what Brissois does. His numbers are really good without Brissois. Well, maybe Hellebuck's out 15 more games. Does it mean that Brassois is automatically going to tank? I don't know that. But based on what Brassois showed me, it'd be like, well, hey, Hellebuck's out. I just step in. I'm pretty good. Okay, so uh, let me put you on the spot. If you are filling out your Hart Trophy ballot today, give me your one through five. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, I probably still have Kucherov number one. Um, well, actually, no, I'd have McKinnon one. Kucherov two, oof. Um, I'd have I might have Matthews slightly ahead today uh, on goals three, McDavid four, and five. Five I might put Panarin. Yeah, I was just going to say I'd probably have Panarin at five. I think um, Hellebuck's definitely one. To be honest, I haven't thought about a ton, but it's one that. Uh, um, will require me to do more research. Like, and the other thing, Frank, I just listed those four. I don't want people. I really, you asked me, so I answered, but I don't do any real, I try not to get a bias where I'm like, okay, this guy's going to win because it can change, right? Like there's still 30 games left. So I try to, I always calculate, I try to look, okay, who are five people I think I can put on my ballot, but I don't put them in any order. I write them down purposely in different orders when I'm, when I'm going through my list of stuff. Cause you do, I like to take it serious and do a lot of research on it. I don't, I try to avoid any sort of, um, well, I watch this player more games and I, I make a point. I got the NHL package. I will, cause the stats sheet one thing, but then you just watch games and you can see different things at different times. So I, I really try to focus on certain guys. So let me present an alternative argument for you. And again, coming from a person who is typically not a, someone who has a goalie on his ballot. Yeah. But if you're going to make the, the quarter of the, the season that Hellebuck isn't on the ice because he's sitting on the bench. Yeah. What about all 60 minutes of a game that Hellebuck is playing that all of these forwards are off the ice for 66% of the game. 
How about here's Pat? my argument for that. Okay. Uh, it's a great stat. So because, McKinnon um, plays 2301 and he's the highest time on ice forward of the candidates you mentioned. So yeah. that means that for each game, 37 minutes of the game or 36 minutes and 59 seconds, Nathan McKinnon is on the bench. You're right. Now, sport logic tracks how much time teams have offenses just in the offensive zone, not even offenses like offensive zone possession, just in the offensive zone. It's rarely more. It's rarely more than 20 minutes a game. So as a goalie, when the puck's out of the offensive zone, you're standing there. Yes, you're on the ice, but you're not doing anything. So the, that's my counter argument to that is, yes, he's on the ice, but when the puck's in the offensive zone or even in the neutral zone, Hellebuck's not really doing much. Now, so when you, the think physically, zone, you think physically that forwards and defensemen exert as much energy as goalies? Oh, no, I didn't say that. I'm just saying he's not impacting the game is all. Like He's standing up. Yes, it's hard. He's moving around. but he at that moment when the puck's in the offensive zone, Hellebuck's not doing anything, right? Like to to impact the game is all, right? The forwards when they're on their twenty three minutes on the ice, they're in the offensive zone, the neutral zone, and the defensive zone. Okay, that's a fair response. I would say my whole thought process, and I didn't mention this point earlier, has been. If we really were truly talking about most valuable to his team, the heart every year would be five goalies is another reason why I typically don't do it. Fair or unfair? Yeah, I think it like, it's funny because look when at you don't Sabres. have goaltending, you can't win. Look at the devils. You can't make the playoffs if you don't get it. Yeah, if you, but you can win the cup with average goaltending. Look at the look average, at the but if it's bad, you can't win. Yeah, well, bad, okay, but that doesn't mean you're MVP just to be an average. So you can have an average goalie and win. Right, but I'm saying if you don't get any goaltending, you can't win. Yeah, well, don't get any. But if you don't get any scoring, you can't win either. Okay. This has been fun. I yeah. like this sparring session. I would. I'm going to say I would have a real hard time not putting Connor Hellebuck right now number one on my heart ballot. Number one. All right. All right. But I'm, I, I think the season that McKinnon has had has been unbelievable. And Kucherov, I don't think, has gotten enough love for how much he's carried that Tampa yes. team on his back. I mm-hmm. would probably have McDavid fifth. Okay. I Not only has this not been an up-to-snuff season for McDavid as a whole, it just... he. It's not something isn't right because he still does stuff, you know, six assist night. That's insane. It's just this isn't even close to his best. And I think he'd be the first to tell you that this season hasn't been close to his best. Yeah, offensively, I think that's true. It's like it, it's interesting, though, if you look at a lot of his possession and defensive numbers, it's arguably being his best. Right. So that's what's it's you know, are we seeing a, a little difference there? But the one, di- the only big difference in McDavid's game is he's shooting the puck way low, way less than he has. Like he, the last seven years, he increased his shots per game every every year. They got up, and and this year he, he he's fallen back to to three four years ago level. I think it is, and you're just not seeing like last year. Obviously, he scored sixty four goals, but last year when he was in the offensive zone, you're like, oh, okay, here comes a goal. Like he was a threat to score, and now. That's how you feel about Matthews right now. Oh, God, yes, 100%. But Matthews just doesn't have, and somebody asked me the question, does he need to, like, he doesn't ever, he doesn't have the assist totals. Now, it's a good question. I I look and say, when you're that dominant of a goal scorer, uh, although McDavid, I guess, shoot last year, you can have 64 assists and still have a 
a boatload or 64 goals and have a boatload of assists. And so um, they're, they're different in the sense, no question to me, Matthew's a better goal scorer. I, you know, I think McDavid would admit that just because of his shot, right? Like Matthews is one of the very few players that can score like his hat trick goal. And in, 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 what do you score a hat trick in under eight minutes uh, the other game against Philly and people are like, Oh, those are bad goals. I'm like, no, they're not that shot from McDavid. That was probably eight feet inside the blue line through a screen. He shoots the puck so hard and so accurately. Like that's where, when, when you talk about high danger chances, we have to get to the point where you have to break down when Austin Matthews is shooting from there. It's a high danger chance, Frank, when right. 99% of the other guys in the league are shooting from there. It's not considered a high danger chance because they just don't shoot like him. That's a great point. It should be player dependent. Has to be based right? on like what his next evolution. I think some teams track that for sure. I know, like I, I know Dave Tippett used to track his own. I had long chats about him and he, he would like, it's not the same, like certain guys. I don't, I don't care. Like certain guys are better around the net now. So when they have a chance, it's a better scoring chance than the other guys who were no offense, mostly bottom six guys. And they're just, they don't have this. They don't have the accuracy. They don't have the velocity. They don't have the consistency of their shot. So even though they're both shooting from 15 feet out, and even if the goalie's, you know, set, guess what? Certain sharpshooters, David Pasternak, we go through the list of guys, McKinnon, other, McKinnon flying down the wing, his shot is more dangerous than a lot of other guys. And that, to me, has to be the next evolution when you get to really tracking the individual shooter. Because we have, now you can, you can tell, they've got all the data to show about shot speed. And, but then you got to look at, okay, how many times is this guy hitting his location? Because it's not fluke. Right. Like I know some guys, they don't even look at the net, Frank, but they practice so many times. They know from this spot, I'm shooting short side left corner and they freaking hit it so many times. It's ridiculous. Like, look at Matthew's shots. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I, I think people don't take it for granted. Like, you know, Matt McDavid getting all these assists, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted that Matthews doesn't work his ass off to be that good of a school scorer. Mm-hmm. Is the art race, the art Ross race is over, right? He's nine ahead of Reinhardt. Oh, you mean the the Morris Richard? Sorry, the the Rocket Richard. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Rocket Sorry. Richard. So yeah, I think it's um, over, right? I think it's over. Yeah, like you know, there's the only there's only one thing, and I don't want to say it, but everybody knows there's only one thing that would stop that from becoming a race again. So you don't want that for any player. So we won't use the word, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. But the um, the Art Ross race, Frank, obviously Kucherov and McKinnon. And uh, McDavid's McDavid now his points per game is is higher than McKinnon at one point six five to one point six three. He's got the games in hand. That could uh, it could be a three dog race for um for the art for the Art Ross, which to me is entertaining. Yeah, it's awesome. Let's uh we're, we're normally this is where we go to Tyler Uremchuk, but uh, Uremchuk's on uh, another road trip. He's got a tough life, so uh, I'll fill, I'll do my best uh, Tyler Uremchuk uh, impersonation here now. We'd have to pause for a couple minutes. That will pause to a speaker somewhere. Hey guys, how are you? Uh, let's go uh, fill in the blank. Delivered by DoorDash. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. You can even tr- try the new Double Dash feature that allows you to add a second stop to your order with no extra delivery fees. For a limited time, our listeners in Canada can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code NATION25. You can see it right on the screen if you're watching or NATION25 if you're listening. All right, Frank, the uh, 
rebuilding team that is currently furthest from being a playoff team is blank. The San Jose Sharks. I think the Sharks are so lost, it's not even funny. I mean, you can see the path with the Ducks, right? Look at the talent that they're amassing. You can see the path with the Blackhawks, even though they've got a lot of work to do to fill it out. Look at just how much more, not just watchable, but dangerous they are with Connor Bedard back in the lineup. Mm -hmm. The Sharks? Good luck. Godspeed. Yeah, it's there. There's honestly, even if I try, I don't like us always agreeing and having the, the same answer. But honestly, there is no other team I could even closely make an argument for. You know, Chicago's got Bedard, and, and they're coming. The, the Sharks, I, I don't know like, Who, who's their guy. It's not even just who's the prospect. It's look at all maybe, the pieces they still have to rip off of their roster, dude. Like maybe is is Will Smith? Like I don't know about Eklund. Is Will Smith maybe their best forward prospect? Probably. Yeah. So, and I don't know how good he's going to be. Maybe he'll be really good, but it's going to be hard. They've got a bunch of older guys on, on bad contracts. Like Vlasic makes seven mil for another three years. And, and I don't know if you saw the comments. Uh, I really think when I watch the sharks, I find they're so it's not, they're so heavily NCAA focused and it doesn't surprise me after listening to the comments from their head coach uh, this past uh, week, claiming how NCAA is way better than CHL. But that's what they do. And I think that there's a little bit of a noticeable bias there that's not going to help them either. You you got to look at every league the same. And might, not think- it, well, I was going to say it might actually help them in the long run. Because think about how long they have to tear these pe- these other pieces off their roster. Like who, how are you, like, who, first off, who is is really in the market for Logan Couture? Yeah. Three more years at $8 million. I guess if they're eating half, maybe. But wh- oh, wouldn't, God, teams be more, wouldn't teams be more interested in Hurdle? Because you know, he's way younger? Point. Well, the, the big question there, Frank, is Couture's health. But I'll say if Couture is healthy, he's, he's, he's better. He, Hurdle's speed to me is a little bit of a concern, especially when you mentioned the longer-term years. Like if you get Logan Couture, because I don't, I don't think he's going to get dealt at the deadline, right? So if in the summer, I look at Ryan Johansson. Got, you, you know, you took half, four million bucks. Logan Couture at $4 million, I think, is a very intriguing player. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, but my point yeah. is, and the reason why I went down this path is they only have one retained salary transaction slot left, and they're not getting any relief this summer. So yeah. if they pull the trigger on Couture, which, again, they need to at some point is to begin moving these pieces off of their roster, that's fine. But what that does essentially is guarantees that Tomas Hurdle is going to be on your your roster for at least the next two seasons. Uh, well, only one of them's escaping. Yeah. Is my yeah. point. Well, because Burns Burns is done at the end of next year, so in the summer of twenty five, you could move Hurdle, right? Because Burns has this okay, year. And sorry, next one more season, yeah. and it essentially yeah, guarantees. More. But again, that's one more season. You're living in purgatory. So but my you know point what? with the NCAA was because they generally you can slow play it a bit longer and you hold their rights longer. You could wait a little bit, not to say that Will Smith is going to need more seasoning. He's not. Then what you're going to bump into or run into is how do you convince these guys to sign with you? That's the other part of the NCAA portion is all of a sudden. 
honestly, Frank, players, if they're smart, you want to sign somewhere where you're going to get an opportunity to play. Trust me. If you're anybody with a remote semblance of talent coming out of NCAA, you should be like, hey, I want to get my feet in the door for a few years. Yeah, we might lose, but I'm going to get to play. How many teams can offer you a legit chance in your top six or top nine right now? Like legit with hardly any competition. Not many. That's maybe the oh, benefit. But how many, have. if you're like, just to play the devil's advocate, and I'm not saying Smith, because I don't, this is agnostic of who the person is, but how many people are going to get drafted by San Jose and see that they have 10 years? Like they are not, the San Jose Sharks will, I I will, I, I don't know how to, to place a wager on this. The San Jose Sharks will not be making the playoffs before 2030. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I wrote that uh, a while back and they've already made, this will be five years without the playoffs, Frank. Like they could honestly, but at what point do you run into a spot where people are just like, yeah, I don't want to go there. Well, I guess my counter would be how many people have said they don't want to go to Buffalo and it's been what 14 years. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I get it. Yeah. yeah like I, some guys, I think you're right. But if I'm a young player and my goal is to get to the NHL and, and, and it's proven fact, that once you, if you play 200 games in NHL, now you're viewed as an NHL player by opposing teams. And if you're good, now you have value and team will trade for you. Yeah, it sucks. The first three years, you might have no chance of making the playoffs on that team, but you'll get to develop yourself as an NHL player. And even though it'll be hard losing, you're still an NHL player. So I, I think if I, some guys, if they look the bigger picture and not, oh, I got to be on a competitive team right away, maybe. But you're right. I, there might be some for sure because it's a, I, I don't know. They're they're going nowhere, Frank. Like I'm sorry. They can they can try to put lipstick on a pig, but they're they're the farthest away. I don't see a team even like. I guess the better question would be, who do you think would be second farthest? I can only tell you from talking to players on that Sharks roster this season how miserable it's been for them, and it's not just because of the losing. They feel like they aren't even playing on an NHL franchise with yeah. the things happening around them. Oh, dude. I, you won't get, I've heard some ridiculous stories about, um, you know, lack of preparation and stuff. That's not, that's not ideal at all. So I would agree with you. So for fun, Frank, if you had to pick who's second furthest and then we'll move on quick. Second furthest from what? Being a a playoff contender. Being a playoff contender. Yeah. I got a wild card for you, Frank. Um. Yeah. This this might sound off the board, but I think it, it might be the Caps. Oh yeah, yeah. See, I was close. I was going to say the Penguins, and and they're both in a very similar category. Yep, they're both in in for a long, long period of time where they're not competitive. Yeah, but but they don't. I, I could don't at least we- see a path at some point for the Blue Jackets with their young talent that they've amassed, and. I, I don't think the Islanders are all that far off from the Caps and Penguins, to be fair. Yeah. But I could and see I St. Louis and Nashville bouncing back. I'm actually a big believer in what the Yotes have built with their young players and draft picks. And I can't really say the Kraken or Flames and definitely not the Ducks. So you have to look out east. Yeah. Okay, question number two. Austin Matthews will score blank more hat tricks this season. Two. He's got 29 games left. You'd have to think that in at least two of them, he scores three times. Yeah, I'm going to say three. 
So that would bring him to nine. And the all-time record is 10. 10. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. He did it twice. Correct, I think. So, yeah, that's ridiculous, man. I'd love to see. I love goals. So, uh, it'd be awesome. I love goals. Connor Bedard is back. Uh, He has a blank percent chance of winning the Calder. And uh, just so you know, um, Batano had him at 66 when he was injured. Now that he's back, it's up to 72%. Read that to me one more time. I, I started to think about Goldfinger after I uh, did the I Connor Bedard goal. has a blank percent chance of winning the Calder. Uh, I would say 75. I mean, look, Brock Faber and what he's done this year is undeniable. Um, how much will voters value the fact that he's continued to do it while Bedard missed time due to injury with all due respect to Brock Faber and how good his season has been. I think sometimes, and I think, you know, history will be the best judge of this. It, the award is best rookie season. But I think most times when there's an injury that pops up, we skew too heavily toward not awarding who is clearly the best rookie. Yeah. And McDavid was different because he missed longer than Bedard in his rookie year. But like, I do think we've gotten it wrong a couple times. So, and, and I'm not, and I wouldn't, again, this is not me saying that if Brock Faber were to win, that that would be the wrong selection. I'm just saying, I think we weight too heavily that part of it. Okay. Uh, and I would argue that we weigh too heavily just offense. So, cause here's the numbers I'm going to give you to Brock Faber. Brock Faber's a rookie. He's playing on it. He's playing on the number one pair. He plays the most minutes on a team that's right in the playoff hunt. Not a team that has no chance, plays the most. He's playing exactly as many minutes a game as Kale McCarr, for God's sakes. He's playing 25 minutes and five seconds a night. It is stunning to me. There's only uh, nine guys in the league, Frank, that play 25 minutes a night. And Brock Faber, a rookie, is doing it. And, and here's the thing. Brock Faber is a plus two. Cam Fowler, Rasmus Dahlin, Mike Matheson, Seth Jones, John Carlson, they're all negatives. The only guys playing 25 minutes that are plus are Kale McCarr, who's a plus six, uh, Dobson plus 20, Dowdy plus 11. Now, I know plus minus isn't the do-all end-all, but you're playing that many minutes as a rookie. You're playing, and I'm going to try to pull it up from Puck IQ, just how many minutes he's playing against the other team's elite guys. Like When you play the most minutes on your team, you're not getting um, gravy minutes, right? Like You're getting the tough minutes. And Brock Faber, it's it's mind-blowing to me. 38% of his ice time, Frank, 381 minutes, is against elite players. And uh, he's outscored them 17-14 at 5-on-5. Five five. He's actually plus 3 5-on-5. Five five. So that's why some people want to get mad about plus-minus. You want to go 5-on-5, five five, he's actually plus 3. And it's, honestly, I would say it's 50-50 right now. I think people are focused so much on Bedard because he was the, the shiny tour and he's, a, and he's a good goal scorer and all that stuff. I get it. But... I look at Brock. We haven't seen a rookie defenseman do what Brock Faber's done since maybe Drew Doughty. It is it is phenomenal. I've told you already. It's not an indictment of fate. I I think also him playing that many minutes is is probably a real knock on Minnesota's defense core. I'm not saying he can't handle it, but just look at the split between when he started. You know, the, he started playing a ton of minutes to start this season. There's no question. He averaged 23 28 
in the first 26 games of the year. Then they had a massive set of injuries. Yeah. And then he started playing 30 for a bit. And since then, so the first 28 games of the year, or sorry, I've got my split wrong. For the first 26 games of the year, he averaged 23-28. Since then, he's averaging 26-36. He played an additional three minutes a night because of the Wilds injuries. And I'm not saying he hasn't been able to handle them. I'm saying asking someone that age to do that is an indictment of the Wild, not necessarily of anything else. Okay, but also they're asking to do that because Jared Spurgeon, who's usually their number one right defenseman, has only played 16 games. That's, but so to me, I don't want to punish Brock Faber because I'm not punishing him. I'm just pointing out yeah. that the reason why he's playing top competition, the reason why he's playing so many minutes, he wouldn't be if Jared Spurgeon were there. Okay, but he's he still might excited. now be, and he will be for the foreseeable yeah. future. And by the way, what like can we give some props? Like, what a trade. No. <laughs> A first and Faber for Fiala, just Faber straight up for Fiala was a steal. Yeah. Getting a first on top of it, and at a time when you knew you couldn't afford Fiala. Now, oof. Faber wasn't going to sign in LA, though, was he? Wasn't that part of it? No, he was going to sign. Oh, he was? Okay. It just ended up being a home run that he's from Minnesota. Okay, I thought it was like Fox a bit where he wasn't nope, signing. No, 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 there was no, uh, there was no, no, nothing like that at all. But like, I just, I look at so, Faber... And the, the the Kings just had too many right shot defensemen. Yeah. That was their issue. And part of the reason why they ended up having to make so many trades to then better balance out the left side of their defense. They had too many right shot guys. Yeah. Like I, to me, like I look at what Faber's done. It is so mind blowingly good. And the more I dig into his numbers, it just, it really impresses me. And I don't think people should overlook it. I understand Connor Bedard and I understand the excitement of everything about Connor Bedard and, and I get all that and, and, and it's good. Right. But, but even Con- like Connor Bedard, if, you know, 16 goals in 41 games, puts him on pace for 32 goals. Like it's a good rookie season, but it's not like, Oh my God, we've never seen a rookie score 30 goals. Like it's not, we don't see what Brock Faber does. And yeah, he's, you he's see had be- the guys in that lineup. I, okay. I understand that. But so you're saying Minnesota is playing him too much, but he's excelling. So if Bedard's playing a lot and he's not okay, excelling, that's, as much, that's fair. Okay, that's fair. Right. So I just I think it's 50-50 right now is my answer because does it I think, matter at all that Faber's three years older? No. A rookie me, is a rookie is a rookie. If a rookie is a rookie, and I always I think defense as rookies is a harder position to play. And like the fact that he hasn't broken down yet to me, like, and that's what maybe the last 25 games of the year, that's the other thing. If he can maintain this all year long and not miss games, he should be rewarded for that because it's hard. Like most rookies hit a wall at some point, like it's a, they get fatigued, like it's difficult. So the fact that he's actually ramping up his minutes, Frank, down the stretch injuries or what have you, like to me, that's even more impressive. Like, so, and you know me, I love offense more, but I've, I've been covering, I've been watching Faber and I'm studying all the numbers on him. I'm like, God, it's, we just don't see it very often. Like Minnesota, you are having an elite number one defenseman in your organization now. That's going to give you it. Once you get out of salary cap hell, the wild should be very good simply based on having a true number one defenseman. They're They're in a great spot. Yeah. Like two more years and then they get out of that and man, they could be, uh, and, and they got a great fan base, but you watch. Like, I'm not going to be stunned if the Minnesota Wild, once they get out of cap purgatory, are uh, a much more competitive. The fact that they're even kind of competitive now, Frank, when they got $14, 50000000 million less than the other teams, that's pretty impressive. 
So to recap, you are picking Faber over Bedard if you were. No, I said 50 50. Because Bedard, hey, he comes back, and if he goes on a run, I think he has the advantage because he has name recognition, and some people just look at goals and they're like. But I'm oh, not asking what you who you think will win, but who who would you vote for today? I would vote for Faber if it was today because he's played way more games today, right? The percentage will drop in 30 more games, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's good. That was, of course, uh, fill in the blanks delivered by DoorDash. Um, uh, this week, Frank, uh, oh, quickly, the, um, how Wait, but we got to talk about Yager quickly. Yes. What yeah. a weekend. Oh my God. How, like how fun, like I was sitting there and I was telling my son how I said, so, so son, just pretend for a moment that you make it to the NHL and now you're 22 or 23 and you're playing in Edmonton. Cause I'm trying to make it simple for a young boy. And I said, and then you play a game and you have a practice and Connor McDavid, who's who he sees is the greatest player gets to come and practice with you because they're retiring his jersey. I'm like, that's what it is for Yarmer Yager and those guys on the pens. Like, he's one of the greatest players ever. And not only does he have his jersey retired, he does the warm-up with them, but he also has a practice with them. Like, sometimes there's just fun things. Like, it's a yeah. crappy year for the Penguins, but that's just like, oh my God. Like, that would be fun. Like, just sitting in the room with them for those guys, it must I be think true. the whole weekend, the Penguins executed flawlessly. And... I just, I loved watching his speech because, and I don't know if you saw it, but the year that I spent around Yarmer Yager on a daily basis was yeah. one of the most fun years I've ever had. He is among the most warm and genuine people that I've ever been around. And I just, I, I loved every second of, you know, one time and, and I can, if if anyone wants to DM me, I can send you the link to the story. But one time I spent an hour and a half talking to him after practice one day, solely about religion. And you heard Just him put reference. The story up. Put the God story up on Twitter yourself. You, you, you saw him reference God a couple times in his speech. And I saw that he had some like trinkets and stuff in his locker and he would draw a cross on a stick every day. And I just, I was curious, like what, you know, what makes you want to do that? And he just, we said like, no joke, hour and a half talking. And every day that I've been around him since then, whether he was traded to Florida or wherever he was, as he was chasing records, anytime I'd pop up, he'd always spot me, you know, come over chit chat, like just a, an incredibly warm human being that I think really changed a lot when he went to Russia for three years and he, I think he left, you know, there's all sorts of great stories about, you know, his days in Pittsburgh, but he, he did reference like, and, and said a couple times, like I, my only mission here is to be a good person. And he wasn't that for a long time. No, no, he was an ass. Yeah. It was teammates early in his career till later is a very different guy. That's just the maturation and development of a different human being. But Not everyone makes it to the other end of that. Yeah. And not everyone has the success that he did and not everyone plays until they're 51 years old. Like I just, I think he's a one of a kind that I don't know that we'll ever see anything like just, just like that again. Well, how many, like I I've seen some guys come out of retirement and do a lap before and stuff. And they like, I I think of, I would love to see more guys if they could, you know, when they, when a team retires their Jersey to be a whole part of it like that, like to me, you know, now, 
you know, may, but it's different. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe some of them, their body's too sore, whatever. Jagger, of course, still playing up till a few years ago. Well, even this year, he he's still games. playing this year. So that that obviously makes it a little bit different. But, you know, some of these guys, you could go around and do a warm up for goodness sakes. And I think as a former player, that would be like, come on. I get to do the warm up again, although it all depends on how you time it. Some teams now do the uh, ceremonies before uh, warm up. You could so. do whatever you want if you yeah. if you want to accomplish it, you can do it. And yeah, and I think for him, just what I was expecting of him when he came in and what he ended up being were so totally different. And I cannot say enough good things about him. Yeah. Hey, uh, sp- staying with Pittsburgh, the one thing that's maybe not getting talked about a lot, if Jenny Malkin has two goals in 18 games. Wait wait a uh, second. Nope. Hold on. Can we, yeah. before we move on from Yager, does he have the best quote of all time? Oh, yeah. My girlfriend wasn't. I want to say thanks to my girlfriend. She's too young to remember when I played in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. Is that said, not legendary? It was clap. But then he waits for the applause and he said, but I told her all about it. <laughs> <laughs> I told her all the stories. So yeah, it's uh, uh it's got a pretty good sense of humor, old uh, Yarmer Yager, and um, you know, good for him. He's obviously a you know a surefire Hall of Famer, and it's uh, uh second all time in points. Like think about what his you know career numbers would be at if in the prime of his career he didn't take three years to go play in Russia. Yeah, but you know it's funny. You know how you say that he changed. I wonder if he would have stayed in those three years if he would have ended up staying as long. You know what I mean? Like would he have gotten burnt out? I wonder. Right. Cause he kind of went. My to answer Rush. would be probably not since he played this season. He turned 52 four days ago. Yeah. yeah. That he wouldn't. But, but playing at the NHL, he was admitted is, is harder than where he's playing now, of course. Right. But he, remember, he had 27 goals as a 43 year old. I know. Eh? Oh. 27 goals and 66 points for the Panthers as a 43 year old. Ah, uh, he's, buddy, his. His commitment to cardio and physio was legendary. Like you talk to so many guys, um, like Jason. It's not Strum, just cardio and physio. It's it's but all working on his game. Specific. Hey, dude. True story. So when Yarmer Yager's with the Rangers, Jason Strudwick is like you know a stay-at-home defenseman, and uh, Yager actually ended up helping him make his stick because he said his stick sucks, so he made him a new one. And Strudwick actually admitted it made a big difference. But anyway, Yager, like everybody had heard about how Yags would sometimes go back to practice late at night. And so he's like, hey, uh, Struds, I'd like you to come with me. Do you want to come and practice late at night? And he's all like, oh, my God, Yarmer Yager's inviting me to come to practice late at night. So he goes there. He's all excited. They get dressed. They get on the ice. They're warming up. And then he's like, hey, Struddy, I just want I want you to pass. I want to work on one-timers and shootings from different areas. So And so Struddy, was, all he did was pass to him for like an hour. And he's like, do I ever get taken any shots? He's like, no, no, we'll do that another time. <laughs> well, there was never another time. It was so funny. He's oh, a piece of work, that was man. Jagger, man. Like his own teammates, NHL guy. Oh God, I get to go to Jagger. Like the special after practice time. And all it was, was you're basically the passer guy, which is still a fun thing to do. But after a while, you're like, I'm not really getting better here. He's one of the rare guys that almost every story you've heard about him is true. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Or the good or the bad ones for sure. Like, you know, younger days, like, oof, used to gamble a little bit too much at times. So yeah, but yeah, he, uh, he's had quite a career, man. He became, uh, you know, one of the biggest names of the game. And I loved all the mullets, uh, for the, uh, for the guys in warm up to, uh, you know, have some fun with it. And Jaeger didn't have one, which is classic, but you know, and for Pittsburgh fans and in a tough season, that's a game that just allows you to be like, Hey, this is why I'm a fan, right? It reminds cool. you of why you're a fan. 
it's a shame how long it took to do it because he's so not first off he was nervous he didn't think that pittsburgh fans wanted him back after he went to the flyers and they booed him so uh so mercilessly that i get it and then he was so you know situated and fixated on helping his team and in, in check that he just it wasn't a big priority for him and even yeah. the hall of fame like he's like ah what do i need you know they re- he reset the clock again by playing games this season. He like it's not the accolades and the honors, like it's not something that he's actively seeking, which I think kind of makes it even more special. Yeah. It's amazing uh, the Penguins only three retired numbers. Well, they got a few more coming though. Yeah. Probably four yeah, more. It's coming. Probably gonna at least double in size. Yeah, I would think uh I think a very you think it's chance. three or four? Uh Latang, Malkin, Flurry, Crosby. You think Flurry ultimately? Oh God, yeah, I think so. I'd be surprised. Like, but he's beloved in Pittsburgh. I, I don't see how it couldn't be. I could be wrong, but it would be. I a think surprise maybe the to tough part for some of the guys on those, you know, '90s Stanley Cup teams is that a lot of their success came in other markets too. Paul Coffey yeah. and yeah. Ron Francis, and go through the yeah. list. Like, like they, they weren't had there some, as long, right? Like they, to me, right? They had some super superstars, but they just yeah. they weren't in Pittsburgh long enough to. You know, they had the team success, but not oh God. as like talk and Stevens. They had some hell of a players, but they didn't yeah. have like to me to retire for a, an organization. Longevity matters in that organization for me. So mm-hmm. that's why I think those four guys will, uh, will all go up there for sure. Um, and speak quickly and then we'll wrap it up. But uh, man, Gino Malkin is the Penguins are struggling. He's struggling. He's got two goals in 18 games. Frank, you got no points in his last four. Like they really need Gino to wake up here. If they got any chance to salvage this season, I'm not, it might be done. We might, here on uh, February 19th, we might be able to say the pens are out, but you know, they need him to get going and have any chance at all. So agreed. Uh, before we wrap up a reminder to uh, get in, it's a Monday. It's your chance. Start over every Monday, buddy. It's a new opportunity at success. That's why Frank loves Mondays, the daily mm-hmm. uh, go to dailyfaceoff.com for the Wendy survivor pool and your opportunity. See if you can run the week. You can win all sorts of great prizes. And somebody's winning $5,000 cold, hard cash at the end of the regular season. Frank, I think, got to uh, Tuesday last week. Right, Frank? Then the Bruins- Yeah, I, I made it one day. This this week, I'm starting with the Jets getting a win over the Flames. But got to get your picks in early this week as a holiday. Oh, yes. There's lots of afternoon, lots of matinee games today. So uh, enjoy the matinee games. Uh uh, whether you're in the uh, U.S. or Canada, have a great week. And uh, Frank and I will update you when we'll be two weeks shy of the trade deadline on the uh, next episode of the DFO Rundown. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.